If you like this locked room puzzle, why not try Erica's Watson and Doyle Locked Room series, starting with Dead Man Switch, right here on Mysteries to Die For, Season 5, Episode 7. Welcome to Mysteries to Die For. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm feeling really jazzy here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of the mystery. Our stories are structured to challenge you to beat the detective to the solution. These are arrangements, which means instead of word-for-word readings, you get a performance that's meant to be heard, especially when I can actually pronounce the words. Jack and I perform these live, front to back, no breaks, no fakes, no retakes. For season six, we are again ad-free. I do this because I love mysteries, and Jack does it because he loves me. Jack may be a starving college student, but it's because the only appliance he's mastered are the microwave and the refrigerator. We do ask you to support the writers of our show. This week, it's Erica Obey. Check out her website and her social, buy and read her stories, help other readers find her. Make writing for Mysteries to Die For the best decision she could have made. In your review, tell her Tina and Jack said, it's safer to take the stairs. This is season six, Things That Go Jack in the Night. This season contains truly imaginative mysteries around one of the most common words in the English language. From the brandy distilled from hard cider known as Applejack, to that nefarious one-eyed Jack, to the animals, vegetables, fruits, tools, weapons, and slang, the way the word Jack is used in the English language is truly unique, inventive, and, well, way too numerous for me to count. And yes, it's also the name of my piano player and producer. For episode five, the playing card, the one-eyed Jack, is the feature Jack. This is One-Eyed Jack and the Suicide King by Erica Obey. The Knave. Roby swore he might go blind if he studied the sentence any harder for tomorrow's quiz on Great Expectation. He calls the knaves jacks, this boy, said Estella with disdain. Later, he would ask himself if that was why he hadn't noticed the security feed had gone down. Not that management would mind. They said having a desk clerk working his way through college conveyed the right impression, and the security feed was a joke at the best of times. Freezing frames of the residents who nursed their drinks on the cracked vinyl chairs scattered across the lobby's threadbare carpet. The Remo was once a discreet residential hotel with an exclusive penthouse nightclub, the kind of place where millionaires took out their mistresses out of sight of society's prying eyes. Now it was a single-room occupancy residence, where the remains of the mistresses and the gigolos held on with what dignity they could. They congregated nightly, just as they had when there was a lobby bar. A woman sipped a makeshift Manhattan while she whispered words to lyrics only she could hear. Two retired actors argued over martinis and battered plastered cups. A man worked out problems on a miniature chessboard while sipping a flask of vodka. Only the businessman, perusing last week's newspaper with a magnifying glass, had no drink at his elbow. 
Roby usually checked the security feed as soon as he arrived, but today he had been too distracted by this morning's fight. He had awakened early to buy an extra hour's study time before he left for class, but his mother caught sight of the book he was reading as she dressed for her job at the nursing home. Dickens, she spat. Dickens and his great expectations. You tell me what became of your grandfather's great expectations. There's no answer to the question, but he had been dumb enough to try anyhow. If only his grandfather were still alive. The old man would have given him something to say about Dickens. But his grandfather was gone, and Roby was on his own now. He rubbed his eyes, which was when he noticed that the security feed on the computer screen had gone dark. He glanced at the lobby clock, which ticked off the hours before tomorrow's class with the same dispassion that ticked away the remains of the residents' lives. The clock hung behind. The clock hung between two identical elevators, whose brass interiors Roby was expected to polish before he settled in with his studies. The first was the creaking public elevator that served the residents' rooms crammed with memories and illegal hot plates. The other had been the private entrance to the penthouse nightclub. Between them, a laminated side decorated with facing jack of hearts and jack of spades advertised the bridge club that now occupied the penthouse. The bridge players all used the main elevator. The private elevator was open only once a day so Roby could polish it. A whiff of unfamiliar perfume, musky, dark and exotic, startled Roby's attention from the malfunctioning computer, and he glimpsed a woman in one of the lobby's peeling mirrors. She was dressed in black, from the veiled hat that hid her face to the elegantly gloved hand with which she impatiently tried the door to the private elevator, the wrong elevator. Small wonder she wasn't getting anywhere, but management was emphatic about accommodating their guests. It created the right impression. So Roby turned to find the brass key that hung aloft from all the others behind the desk. By the time he retrieved it and crossed the threadbare carpet to the elevators, well, there was no sign of the woman had ever stood there. Except perhaps, except perhaps, a faint whiff of that musky perfume. Still, Roby punched the call button just to make sure. The brass indicator wobbled. Gears creaked deep within the shaft and the private elevator began to descend. When it finally alighted and the doors slid open, a corpse fell out and sprawled face first onto the lobby floor. A blood-stained sword followed. No one noticed in the lobby. They were all immersed in their drinks and gossip. Then again, if you listen to the old stories, death was a fact of life here at the Remo. A jilted lounge singer had shot her ex-boyfriend in broad daylight. A pair of rival bootleggers dueled it out, and the lobby carpet still showed the stains. All the time, the band played on. The only movement came from the man in the gabardine suit, who'd pocketed his magnifying glass and folded up his newspaper with the air of a man with a train to catch. Roby turned back to the reception desk to call the cops and management. As he did, he caught another whiff of perfume, another glimpse of movement in the gilt mirrors, the woman in black. He guessed she wouldn't be taking that elevator now. Ma'am, he turned to stop her, but once again she was gone. When she turned back to the desk, a playing card was there, the Queen of Spades. A bad card, an ill omen card that his grandmother would have spat on, peeked down, the dark lady herself. 
the Suicide King. Groby needed to call the cops. An ambulance, he guessed, although the body was nearly beyond that. Send a text message to management saying things were under control. But first he needed to get to the security feed backup and running before the cops showed up and insisted on seeing it. A shadow fell over him as he jiggled the mouse. The businessman with the newspaper leaned across the desk. Don't get nervous, kid. I'm the dick. I, I beg your pardon? Roby stammered. He had seen the man sitting in the lobby every night, but it occurred to him that he had no idea who this man was or why he was there. The house dick. The hotel detective. The guy who makes sure that the guests toe the line. As they used to say, when you check in, he's checking you out, the man said. Roby blinked. I didn't know they still had that kind of a thing. They don't, kid. The Remo is the last of its kind, and so am I. When they cart me out of here, it's going to be feet first. In the meantime, I am in charge of this case. He stuck out a hand. The name's Hall, Joe Hall, NYPD Lieutenant, retired. Been keeping my eye on you, kid, and you've got promise, let me tell you. Promise. The NYPD's lost when you decided to go to college. He glanced back at the body lying in front of the gaping elevator. I'm just gonna take a look at that stiff before you call in the cavalry. Might be able to tell you a thing or two. Without waiting for an answer, he stooped over the body. Roby followed. Blood was beginning to congeal on the carpet beneath the dead man's neck. Hall tasted it before he sat back on his heels with a satisfied nod. Rex King, he said, better known as Suicide King, a man with a simple creed. Screw unto others before they can screw unto you. Hall met Roby's eyes. Seems to me you might know a thing or two about that. I'm not sure what you're talking about, Roby said. I'm talking about your grandfather, kid. Him and a hundred more like him. Rex King ate small businessmen for lunch. The kind of men who provided services you can't find these days. Cobblers, dry cleaners, a tailor who had fitted queens, newsstand owners like your granddad. What did Rex King care that they had poured their life savings into a dream? He squashed them like bugs. Roby was sorry he let the man talk. The memory of the morning's fight with his mother was too fresh. What about the lady that called the elevator? He said, changing the subject. You see her? Can't say that I did, Hall frowned. Unless, all in black, gams up to her boobs? Well, she was dressed all in black, Roby allowed. Well, Hall said. Well, well, well. That certainly puts a different spin on things. Now don't it? I'm not sure what you're talking about, Roby said again. I'm talking about Marnie Barnes, Hall said. You ever heard of the lady? You mean the full floor suite right below the penthouse? Roby shook his head. Nobody's seen her for years. Hall nodded. Disappeared from a bridge game nearly a decade ago, just as surely as if Jack DeLuca had made her vanish back in his Vegas days. And how you think she came back to kill Rex King? Roby asked. She protects this place. She's the Remo's genus loci, the spirit of the place. Once more, Hall met his eyes. Your grandfather taught me that term. I don't believe in ghosts, Roby said. Neither do I, kid, Hall said. 
Especially not ghosts that can pick up a sword and run it through a guy's neck. Then we need to call the police. Roby went back to the desk and hooked the elevator key in its place before he reached for the phone. But Hall slapped the hand across the receiver and jerked his head toward the key rack. You might want to first ask yourself how Rex King wound up in that elevator that only two people have a key to, one of them being you. As if in answer, a single sullen security feed finally flared to life on the computer screen. The camera panned shakily across the lobby and came to rest on the door to the private elevator, where Jack DeLuca, the bridge club's owner, was waiting with what looked to be the dead man. It was clearly not a friendly meeting. They didn't say a word to each other until the door opened. Then they stepped inside to ride upstairs. The bridge club has the other key, Roby said, in case of emergencies. Although he was hard-pressed to imagine an emergency that would actually disturb the guests, when a dead man lying in the lobby floor barely garnered a flicker of interest. Then we should head upstairs and have a word with Jack, Paul said, before we get the cops involved. Might be best if we took the public elevator, Roby said. One-Eyed Jack. Jack DeLuca had been the greatest stage magician Vegas had ever known. Then he hypnotized the wrong showgirl and lost an eye to a pissed-off pit boss. Jack still looked like the stage ma magician with his Leonin hair and wicked Van Dyke. He wore a tuxedo every night, just like in the good old days, when everybody dressed for bridge. The silk eye patch he affected only added to his mystique. The bridge club's foyer was lined with framed posters of Jack's most famous illusions, each spotlit by its own ceiling lamp. Death by a Thousand Swords, The Fakir's Revenge, and of course, The Lady Vanishes. The lamp over the last one had been knocked askew and briefly blinded Roby as they stepped out of the elevator. You ought to get someone up to look at that. Jack then greeted, Hal then greeted Jack as a magician ushered them into his private office. The walls of Jack's private office were lined with more posters. Hal Hall jerked his head at one and showed the circus elephant floating in midair. Then he got down to business. Once upon a time, you were considered the best magician in Vegas. To this day, no one can explain how you made that elephant disappear. So it's only natural that when a dead man falls right out of thin air, people wonder whether you got something to do with it. Jack raised an eyebrow, you could see. Any man who would think that doesn't understand a thing about how magic works. He snapped his fingers and a coin appeared between them. You see, any illusion consists of three parts. You start with the pledge. Show your audience a completely ordinary object. He walked the coin back and forth across his knuckles to illustrate his point. Let them touch it, feel it, convince them there's nothing strange about it. The magic doesn't come until the next part, the turn. That's where you make that ordinary object do something extraordinary. Most likely, you make it disappear. A snap of his fingers and the coin vanished. Jack held up both hands to show that his palms were empty before he said, making it reappear is the third part of the magic trick. That's the prestige, the heart of the illusion. 
He snapped his fingers again, then held out one hand, where the queen of spades lay in place of the coin. So, when you talk about my making an elephant disappear, in the same breath you talk about making me, making Rex King fall out of an elevator, you're confusing two completely different things. So you know the dead man is Rex King, Hall pronounced. Mind explaining why? Because I watched Rex King get into that elevator less than a minute before he fell out of it downstairs. Jack snapped his fingers and the car disappeared. Then you admit you were the last man to see Rex King alive, Hall asked. Strictly speaking, the last person to see Rex King alive must have been the one who ran the sword through his neck, Jack said. But it's no secret that Rex King was was up here tonight, and it's no secret why. He finally got a judge willing to issue a search warrant for Marnie Barnes' apartment. Had some theory he was going to find her body walled up in there. And what did you say to that, Hall asked? That he needed to take the warrant to the hotel management. I only run the bridge club. I've got no authority over the rest of the hotel. Jack snapped his fingers and the coin reappeared. Snapped his fingers again, and it was gone. I see, Hall said. So what happened next? I'm supposed to believe he just went back downstairs to take the matters up with the kid here? He didn't leave without some persuasion, Jack admitted. There are plenty of people who can tell you that, but he did leave. And as for what he intended to do when he got downstairs? Sorry, but I never did have a mind reading act. You don't have to be a mind reader to see that you had a good motive to kill him, Hall said. If he succeeded in buying the Remo, your club would be shut down. Jack leaned forward and pulled the coin out of Hall's ear. Motive is one thing. Means and opportunity are another. I defy you to tell me how I killed Rex King when I've got a dozen witnesses that will swear King was alive and well when he left here. But don't take my word for it. Ask them yourself. The bridge player's statement backed up Jack's story. No, I, I couldn't tell you what time exactly, but he showed up in the middle of a very tricky small slam, depended entirely on the repeated finesses of the Nine of Clubs. Am I sure it was Rex King? Uh, of course I'm sure. I just remember it distinctly. The elevator opened and Jack called out, Now, Rex, not now. Did I notice a sword? I can't say that I would have noticed it if I did. There are always swords lying around this place. It was one of Jack's signature tricks, you know. So what did I actually see? Well, I saw a man inside the elevator, and I heard Jack tell him, loud and clear, you can't prove Marnie Barnes is dead. You go right ahead and do it, but I'll be damned if I'm gonna let you disturb tonight's game. You take your warrant downstairs and serve it there. I've got a bridge game to run. What more proof do you need? the dark lady. As soon as the elevator touched back down in the lobby, Roby called 911. Hall made no move to stop him. Instead, he studied the rack of room keys hanging on the wall. When Roby hung up the phone, Hall pointed toward one that had been unused for as long as Roby could remember. Cops know how to let themselves in. Plenty of time to head up to Marnie Barnes' suite and have a look around. That suite hasn't been open in years, Roby said. Hall lifted the key from its hook. 
all the more reason to make sure it's not open now. As the elevator creaked back upstairs, Hall folded his arms and mused, Marnie Barnes, not just a great actress, but the love of Diamond Fredstone's life. He bought this place for her, not just the suite, the entire hotel, and he stowed Marnie away, tucked right up beneath the nightclub, where they went dancing every night. Roby breathed deep as he unlocked the door and they stepped inside. The place didn't smell like it had been shut up for years. The air was rich with the same scent that he'd smelled in the lobby. The great white bulbs on Marnie's dressing table flared to life with the touch of a switch. Silken lingerie spilled over the changing screen onto a chaise lounge. The peach duvet and bolsters on the bed were plumped and inviting. Now, Fred Diamond might have hated his wife, but he wasn't about to disinherit his kids just to spite her. Hall kept up with his role as tour guide. Still, he had enough money and connections to make sure no angry wife with a fleet of lawyers could harm Marnie after he died. Diamond Fred's will was ironclad. Marnie held a life interest in the Remo. No one could touch the place until she died. Or disappeared, Roby said, as he began to see what Hall was saying. Marnie Barnes' final act, Hall said. She stood by the Remo even after the nightclub followed Fred Diamond into the grave. She loved her cards as much as she loved dancing, and she went up to play at One-Eyed Jack's every night, until the day she got to her feet in the middle of a small slam, walked out onto the rooftop terrace, and was never seen again. Caught that case myself back when I was still on the force, Hall snorted. The boys at the station called it the crime of the century, but you didn't need a detective to explain why she did what she did. Those people in the lobby downstairs, they were her friends. Gracie, the one that sings all the time, she was a showgirl, danced side by side with Marnie in the line. And Desmond and Nigel, the two that argue every night, they were the two-headed dragon she rode as the snake goddess. And as for Yuri, the one with the chessboard, he was a grandmaster before Stalin decided his kind were too decadent to compete. So Marnie did what needed doing, Hall said. Marnie disappeared, just as surely as if Jack DeLuca had made her vanish. And it didn't matter how many white-shoed lawyers King sent to court, the Remo can't be sold till somebody can present proof that Marnie Barnes was really dead, as if a lady like that could ever die. Hall's face softened as he glanced around the framed posters that hung on the walls, and then it immediately hardened again. What the hell? One of the posters had been torn from the wall with such force that its glass had shattered and lay scattered across the floor. It had shown Marnie Barnes swirling her skirts in a sexy tarantella. As a deck of tarot cards spilled out, the title above her ad, Kali Sarah, the Dark Lady of the Gypsies. Romani, only the ignorant call us gypsies. Roby spat his grandfather's words reflexively. Hall didn't seem to hear him. He stooped closer to examine the broken glass. And when he straightened, he wiped sticky blood from his hands. Looks like King came up here looking for Marnie, and someone else came up looking for him. But he didn't come up here, Roby said. It was right there on the security feed. King and Jack left the lobby together in the private elevator. The security feed clearly shows the doors closing behind them. There's no way anyone could have used that car to get to this floor. There aren't 
even any other buttons to the other floors. Someone did, Hall said. Someone like Marnie Barnes? Even as Roby said it, he remembered the flash of black in the mirror and the whiff of exotic perfume. Was it the same perfume he smelled now? Seen stranger in my time, Hall said. Joker's Wild. The elevator had just started its creaking journey back to the lobby when Hall slammed the emergency brake. Emergency brake. That's better, he said, as the car juddered to a halt. No security cameras in here. Roby's gut clenched. So this was it. This was how he was going to meet his end. A maniac was going to pull out a sword and butcher him, just like he had Rex King. Roby pressed himself into a corner, cursing himself for destroying what remained of his grandfather's hopes. Never like security cameras, me, Hall went on. They say the camera never lies, but I say you can make up anything you want. Everything's filters and such these days. It's like those Kardashians. You ever seen them in real life? Of course not. For all you know, there's some Russian in, there, some Russian in a bunker in Siberia. No, don't show me security cameras. Give me good old-fashioned hotel dick who knew how to size up people as soon as they crossed the lobby. Please, Roby breathed. I just run the desk. Don't cower, kid. What a matter you think? I'm going to kill you, Hall snapped. I just want to talk for a minute without those damn security cameras. Roby allowed himself to relax a quarter inch. Stop arguing with the crazy man, he told himself. Look at the control panel and think how you can reach it. Hall shook his head. What I can't figure out is how you did it. And I figured out a lot of things in my time. Sherlock, they called me back at the station. Gave me this magnifying glass when I retired. Hall thrust a hand under his coat. Roby cringed. But all Hall pulled out was the magnifying glass he used to study the paper every night. No, sir, he said as he contemplated it. Can't figure out how, no matter how hard I try. But I sure in hell know I uh, know why, and that's what matters to me. Roby edged away from the wall. I'm sorry, sir? I knew your granddad, kid, ever since I started walking the beat all those years ago. He's a good man. He ran the best newsstand in the neighborhood. Hal shook his head. Always had your coffee ready for you and your lotto ticket by the side. An educated man, too, but he gave up everything for his family. Fluid in a dozen languages. Did you know that? Not only did Roby know it, his grandfather insisted he learn them at his knee, starting with Romani, the language of his own people. My grandfather gave everything for his family, Roby said. Damn right he did, Hall said. Even at the end, your granddad died trying to provide for his family. I told him not to, told him there was another way, but he stepped out in front of that bus to get the insurance money. And King screwed him on that too. Called up a few cronies to alert them to the suicide posing as an accidental death. Another damn gypsy trying to cheat the system. That's a lie, Roby roared. The Romani don't cheat, and suicide is a mortal sin. Your granddad was no sinner. He was a good man, an honorable man, and a smart man, and I never said otherwise. 
Hal paused before he added, That's why I couldn't blame a grandson who decided to take revenge when everything else failed him. Roby's eyes widened. It, it was impossible, beyond ridiculous. On the other hand, it was better than being run through the neck with a sword. Look, not that I don't appreciate, but when it comes to stabbing a man, I, I've never seen a sword. I, I don't know how. And I don't know how either, which makes this your lucky day. Hall rubbed his haggard jaw. I still can't figure out how you pulled the trick, but I'm not disposed to waste any more time looking for an answer. As for the cops, well, if a man walks into an elevator carrying a sword and falls out dead on the other end, what else can it be besides suicide? Especially if the Vic is called the Suicide King. Hall punched the emergency brake and the elevator slid into motion again. And if I know a thing or two, why should I do the cops' jobs for him? I'm just a hotel dick. No one expects me to do anything besides what I've been doing, reading my paper in the lobby every night. Roby swallowed hard. You gotta listen to me. I, I didn't. I'm not done, Hall cut him off. You listen up, kid, and you listen good. You gotta be careful, cause revenge can turn around and bite you in the ass. I know a thing or two about that, too, but that's a talk for another day. Right now, it's got to end here. Go too far down that path, and there's no coming back. The door slid open, revealing a clatter of action in the lobby. So you're on notice, kid, Hall wound up. I'm sitting right there in my regular place every night, just like before. And while I'm sitting there, I've got my eye on you. You keep that in mind, kid. While you're checking people in, I'm checking you out. It's the deliberation. Man, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm I I I'm gonna be honest. No, I no, I got no clue. <laughs> <laughs> well, Roby is never gonna pass that quiz on great expectations if he can't figure out how Rex Suicide King was taken out. So here's the suspects. He's only got a few. Okay. Okay. One-eyed Jack DeLuca, the former Vegas magician who is now manages the Remo's Bridge Club. All right. Joe Hall, the lieutenant NYPD. I just said that backwards. The lieutenant from NYPD retired who is the house detective as washed up as the residents of the Remo. <laughs> okay. Marty Barnes, the mysterious owner of the Remo who may or may not be alive. Uh, okay. And then Roby, the front desk clerk who Joe Hall has doubting himself. Okay. Don't think it's that dude. Okay. I don't think it's Marty. Okay. Um I think it's either the only there are only two other options, right? It's one eyed Jack and Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lieutenant Joe Hall. Um I feel like it's more obvious than I'm realizing. <laughs> I feel like I'm, <laughs> I have no idea. Do you want some of these clues? Yeah, can you give me the clues? All right. Roby came into work as usual after his classes. The okay. Remo security feed wasn't working, which wasn't unusual. He went to polish the two brass elevators, and when he opened the never-used private elevator, the, bod of rec the body of Rex Suicide King fell out. He was killed with a sword, fitting the Suicide King. Okay. 
The public elevator ran to all the floors and was used by the residents and guests. The private elevator ran only between the lobby and the penthouse, which was where the bridge club was located. There were two keys. One was kept at the front desk, and the other was with the bridge club manager, Jack DeLuca. Okay. The elevators were monitored by camera that captured both doors and the poster of the one-eyed jacks that hung in between it. The feed recorded the suicide keen and one-eyed jack getting into the private elevator together. Rex last heard Rex was last heard arguing with one-eyed jack over suing to prove Marnie Barnes was dead. Rex went down in the elevator while Jack stayed at the bridge club. Marnie Barnes owned the building, a gift from her former lover. Marnie disappeared without a trace from the bridge club some years ago, and the remo cannot be sold or transferred until after her death, something Rex wanted to prove, but everyone else did not. Inside Marnie's apartment was found a poster off the wall with a liquid pool of blood beneath. Okay. Crap, I really thought you were going to keep going there. Um, <laughs> I don't know. So Jack stayed up there. Yes, Jack stayed at the in the bridge club. What about Lieutenant Dan? Well, when the story opens, he's in the lobby. We really don't know what he did before Roby got in there. Interesting. I feel like it's it's weird to have Marnie have done it. That's her name, right? Marnie? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Marnie Barnes. Marnie Barnes. Like, I guess... If I had to choose anybody, it would have to be because she has an alibi. She's dead and no one saw her except they kind of did see her. Right. Isn't there that little thing? Yeah. At he, the beginning? he kept seeing the image of her and smelling perfume. Yeah. I think she might be there, but she isn't the one who did this. Okay. Um. <laughs> it. I I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh one eyed Jack. Okay. For the sole purpose of the story's named after him, right? Yeah. So it's gotta be him. Just like how whenever you have a guest celebrity in a murder <laughs> mystery, they're <laughs> the murderer. So do you have any guesses on, on how he did it? How? The the poster was off the side, right? Because there was there was a poster in the elevator and it fell them down, right? There is a poster in the lobby between the two elevators. Okay. And that has the, the jacks on it. And then, yes, there was a poster up in Marnie's um, apartment. And that one had been torn down. The glass broke. Um, and then... With blood on it. With blood on it. Hmm. I'm going to say... He, how is he stabbed? Through the back, neck? Does it matter? It must not matter because it doesn't say just that doesn't he matter. was killed with a sword. Killed with the sword. Um, I was gonna and it did say that there were swords kind of all over the place because that was one of Jack DeLuca's things. Things. Okay. I think maybe because there's, there's only two ideas I have. One, that he opened the hatch on the ceiling, mm-hmm. stabbed, and then left. Okay. And the other... That somehow he made it work. Like, you know those boxes where you just put knives in, mm-hmm. but, like, the person's died stays alive? Mm-hmm. I think it might have been that. Hmm. That's, a, that's a good guess because he is a magician. Exactly. Did you catch the one time I said musician? I did. <laughs> and I was like, all right, <laughs> we'll move past that. We'll just 
Because it's live that don't get fixed. It's live. <laughs> anyway, all right, I'm going with One-Eyed Willie. Well, I want to remind people before we go back in to check out our print and ebooks, the companion book for season four, A Word Before Dying, and season five, Move It or Lose It, are available in ebook and trade paperback. This season's book is released next week on September 12th. The pre-order is available now. Buy one for yourself and one for a mystery lover you love. The dimes and quarters from the book sales do support the podcast and keep Jack in tacos and headphones. So now let's go to the cut and shuffle. When the cops and EMTs finished, and Rex King's body had finally been decently removed, Roby double-checked that Hall had gone back to reading his paper. Then he went back upstairs to One-Eyed Jacks. The bridge players had all gone home. The mirror, mirrored foyer hung empty and silent, but the air was spiced with faint perfume. He found Jack alone in the game room, cutting and shuffling a deck of cards one-handed. Jack gave no sign that he had seen Roby. He squared the cards on the green baize table, tapped the top card, then turned it over to reveal the Queen of Spades. So how'd you figure it out, kid? Jack asked. My grandfather's newsstand, Roby said. He settled into the chair opposite Jack, uninvited. One thing my grandfather never had in his newsstand, you know what that was? A mirror to catch shoplifters. Didn't matter how bad anyone nagged him, he refused to install one. I know you're, you're, I know kid, Jack said. Your grandfather was a good man. My grandfather wasn't just a good man, he was a smart man, an educated man, an engineer. There wasn't a mechanism around he couldn't tell you how it works. Roby was embarrassed to hear his voice crack. And of all the instruments out there, do you know which one he loved the most? He loved telescopes. You know why? Because they allowed a man to look at the stars. Any man should be able to look at the stars, he always told me. No matter who you are, you should always be able to look up at the stars. Jack flipped the dark lady face down, snapped his fingers, and a second deck appeared. If anyone deserved to see stars, it was your grandfather. My grandfather did see the stars, Roby said, but he also hated telescopes as much as he loved them. Do you know why? Because the telescope works with mirrors, those same mirrors he refused to have in his newsstand. My grandfather never trusted a mirror, taught me early that a mirror always lies even when you're looking at the stars. You want to make your way on this planet? You got to see with your own eyes. That's what he told me. That's why he never had a mirror in his newsstand. You want to catch a crook? You look with your own eyes and see what you see. That's what he'd tell me. Jack mixed the two decks with the waterfall shuffle and then restacked the cards. You call me a crook, kid? I don't call people names. With people, just like everything else, my grandfather taught me to look with my eyes open. Roby gestured toward the foyer that was just visible through the open doors of the game room. And you know what I saw when I looked with my own eyes today? I saw a mirror. No, I saw a whole lot of mirrors. Now my grandfather could have explained things properly. Given you all the optics and angles, I can't do that. But I can tell you that when those bridge bridge players swore they saw Rex King inside the elevator, 
All they really saw was a shadow. How could they see anything else with the lights jiggered the way they were? You were arguing with your own reflection in the rear wall of the elevator, the same brass wall I polish every day. You were backlit by the crooked lamp, so no one could see that the face in the reflection was wearing an eye patch. All the while, King was lying dead at your feet, murdered down in Marnie's apartment. Murder's a strong word, Jack said. Rex King lunged for me, and when I fought back, he knocked the poster off the wall and the shattered glass ripped open his throat. It was self-defense if it was anything. Although I wouldn't argue with you if you wanted to call the damnedest good luck you've ever seen. Or maybe I should just chalk it up to Marnie, taking care of her own. But you try explaining that to the dick in the lobby. I think you'd be surprised, Roby said. But that's not why I'm here. Hall said he couldn't figure it out. So who am I to tell him? Jack tapped the stacked deck of cards again. Once more, he turned over the Queen of Spades. Then he flipped over the entire stack to reveal the second Queen of Spades on the bottom. But if you were to tell him, what would you say? I'm asking just for the sake of speculation, you know. Roby answered him immediately. I'd tell him to take another look at the security footage that shows you and King getting into the private elevator. And tell him what it really shows is the two of you getting into the public elevator. Someone aimed the camera at the lobby mirror instead of the elevators. Roby met Jack's eye. Makes me wonder why a man would go to all that effort if he wasn't planning to do something when he was out of sight. Professional reflex, nothing more, Jack said. Hard to break the habits of a lifetime. Roby shrugged. If you say so. What I say is that the two of you took the public elevator up to Marnie's suite, where you killed King. Or, have it your way, he fell and hit his head by accident. Then you took his body up to the bridge club, unlocked the private elevator, and stashed his body there. You waited until the bridge players all showed up, and then you staged your confrontation with your own reflection, giving yourself a clear alibi. Roby paused and then added, Do I have it right? More or less. Jack snapped his fingers and a third deck of cards appeared. That depends. What made you think of mirrors? I mean, beyond me being a magician and all that. The security feed, Roby told him. The one you hoaxed. I looked at it with my own eyes and saw what I really saw. Jack raised his good eyebrow. Which was? The one-eyed jacks on the sign were facing the wrong way, Roby said. When you look at them, you see the jack of hearts left eye and the jack of spades right. They're reversed in the reflection, which means the hands on the clock and the elevator doors, they were reversed too. As theories go, it holds water. You'll understand if I'm not inclined to say anything more. Another waterfall shuffled to mix the cards. Another series of elaborate cuts before Jack fanned the cards across the green bays to display the three decks perfectly restored. Just one more thing, Roby said, as the scent of the elusive perfume grew stronger. Ask away, Jack said. You've earned the right. Who is the woman I saw? It can't be Marnie Barnes. Not after all this time. Roby paused, uncertain. Can it? Jack gathered the cards and stacked them, covered the stack with one hand and tapped it with the other. When he lifted his hand, a single card remained, the Queen of Spades. A magician never reveals his secrets, he said.
the end. So it's kind of a complicated one for having just a few characters. Yeah, I'm kind of happy I got it right, but it felt like it had to be him at a certain point because it's like, whoa, who did the super, super sneaky murder? The lieutenant? The dead person? The magician? I didn't have the dead person on there. The magic man. Yeah. Oh, you mean the Marnie Barnes is the dead person, yeah, not sorry. Rex King. The missing person. Yeah. No, but it was pretty cool, the the setup with the using mirrors and everything. Yeah, I that's not where I thought it was going. I'm yeah. going to be honest with you. I did not expect it. I didn't expect him to do it that way. It's pretty pretty clever. Mm-hmm. I think this would, would make a good visual show. I mean, we we did fine reading it on the podcast, but I think with some of the mirror stuff... It's very hard to, to depict it in words without giving it away. Yeah, my mm. only question was, they have the same body type? I mean, I guess they must. I just saw him arguing with his own reflection, which is kind of funny. Well, I think the people playing Bridge, they didn't have a clear shot. They more or less, you know, might have saw the back of Jack and, you know, could see somebody in the um, mirror. So just to see, you know, you see what you want to see. I suppose you see what you want to see, but you when when you really draw it out and look at the whole timeline of how it happened, you wonder how how did he get in the elevator in the first place? In the private elevator? Yeah, how did how did the fake Rex get into the private elevator? I mean, Jack put him there after he killed him, he took him up to the bridge club. The and then so transferred him over to the other no, elevator. Wait, hold on. So okay. he was dead in the elevator during that yes. interaction? Yes. And so all that happened was the elevator came down. It opened up. Jack argued into the elevator. It closed and went down. When Roby called it down to polish it. When Roby called it down. Which should have been something that got Roby's attention because if that elevator is never used, it shouldn't have had to come down, right? It should have been down there in the lobby. True. But it had to come down. Yeah, something that was interesting. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty cool locked room mystery. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So I went diving on One-Eyed Jacks. Uh, Mr. Will Roya posted the history of playing cards back in 2018 on a website called Playing Card Playing Card Decks. The link is in the show notes. Honestly, it was one of the most fascinating trips that I've taken down an internet rabbit hole. And here are a few of my favorite fun facts. I paraphrase them, of course. Face cards have long been an element of a deck, but who is on the face card varies with the deck origin. A king, a knight, a knave. A king, a queen, a prince, later called Jack. A king and two knaves. FYI, knave is a tricky, deceitful fellow, according to Merriam-Webster. So I thought it's interesting that whether you were looking at the cards from Asia, the ones from Italy, France, Germany, they all have uh, face cards, but who those cards are, it definitely varied with the culture at the time. We think of 52 cards as a standard deck, but it's far from standard. Some decks have 40, others have 48. It wasn't so much that I didn't know this as that I didn't really ever stop to think about it. There's plenty of games where you take cards out of the deck to be able to play with them. But 52s only recently become quote standard. Hundreds of years ago, innovative printers with modern techniques who could mass produce cards and bring down the cost to every man level, those became standard. 
as they were widely circulated and had a large influence on the deck of cards that we know today. By sheer volume, they pushed aside older styles of cards that were much more expensive and fewer people owned. In Italy, cards were a luxury item, and the cards were handmade and hand-painted. I mean, those must have been really cool. Like every set would have been slightly different. So two jacks have one eye, the jack of hearts and the jack of spades. The others face forward more, so you can see both of their eyes. And all kings have weapons, but only one appears to be using it on himself, the king of hearts. In actuality, it likely was originally meant to be behind his head as if he was going to strike something, but that's not nearly as catchy as a suicide king. So again, the link to playingcarddecks.com and the blog post is in the show notes. So let's learn a little bit about today's author, Erica Obe. Erica is the author of The Brooklyn North Murder, the first full-length Watson and Doyle mystery. So yes, in the last season, we had a, our, a Watson and Doyle mystery, and it was a lot of fun, so you should go check that out. Erica has also has five other novels set in the Hudson Valley, including the award-winning The Curse of the Braddock Brides. Erica is the past president of MWA New York chapter, and a frequent reviewer and judge. She holds a PhD in comparative literature and published academic work on female folklorists before she decided she'd rather be writing the stories herself. Visit her at www.ericaobey.com, where she blogs about life in the Hudson Valley now and then. I also want to let everybody know uh, back in July, the third and final book in my Diamond series was released from Down and Out Books. The first chapter was the July 21st toe tag. If you haven't read any of the Diamond books, there is now a box set that puts them together into one convenient place. And it's a real treat for mystery readers because the way I wrote this series, the end of one book is the beginning of the next. So this keeps you just right on going. Look for the box set on Amazon and other online retailers. The link is in the show notes. So that wraps up this episode of Mysteries to Die For. Please do support our show by subscribing, telling a mystery lover about, about us, and giving us a five-star review. Check out our website, tgwolf.com, with two Fs, forward slash podcast for links to this season's authors. Mysteries to Die For is hosted by T.G. Wolf and Jack Wolf. When I Jack and the Suicide King was written by Erica Obey. Music and production are by Jack Wolf. Episode art is by T.G. Wolf. Join us next week for a toe tag, the first chapter of a fresh release in the mystery, thriller, or crime genre, and be back in two weeks for episode six, When in Doubt, Blame the Jackass by Kira Jacobs. All right, Jack, give everybody a little bit more of that jazzy groove you've been noshing on.